0: we can chant in unison Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Magana Timurandusya Kyanan Janashalakaya Chakshuran Militam Yena Tazmay Shri Gurave Namaha So we are on Canto Furans It's such an exciting part of the Bhagavatam Um Canto 5, chapter 9, text number 6. And we're continuing to hear, we're hearing this chapter, the supreme characteristic of Jadabharata. Um, And yes, okay. The Brahmana father of Jadabharata considered his son his heart and soul. And therefore he was very much attached to him. He thought it wise to educate his son properly and be, being absorbed, In this unsuccessful endeavor, he tried to teach his son the rules and regulations of brahmacharya, including the execution of Vedic vows, cleanliness, study of the Vedas, the regulative methods, service to the spiritual master, and the method of offering a fire sacrifice. He tried his best to teach his son in this way, but all his endeavors failed. In his heart, he hoped that his son would be a learned scholar but all his attempts were unsuccessful. Like everyone, this brahmana was attached to his home, and he had forgotten that someday he would die. Death, however, had not forgot, had, was not forgetful. At the proper time, death appeared and took him away. So I, the purport, I just was caught by this two sentences. Although they forgot death, death will not forget them. That's quite a sentence, isn't it? He's talking about people in general, especially attached people, though they they forget death, death will not forget them suddenly, they will be kicked out off the platform of a peaceful family life. One may forget that he has to die, but death never forgets death always comes at the right time, and I you know I have so powerful such a powerful statement because I don 't think for most of us. I don't think we, the first thought that comes to us in the morning is that today I may die. It's, I think for a lot of us at least, it's a, it's something that's, you know, something that we, we know theoretically it's there. Even, even people who don't study the Vedas know that, but it seems far away. And we have all the urgent matters of this life to be caught up with. And Krishna recommends in Bhagavad Gita, right? Janma, mrityu, jara, vyadhi, right? That we should remember that we will die, that it's inevitable that we'll die, it's inevitable to get sick, it's inevitable to get old. And what a lot of people may not understand is it's also inevitable to be born again. <laughs> and so, Krishna, you know, he makes that quite clear that that should be our. Uh, understanding by the way so it's really hard to remember regularly that death is inevitable and especially in, in a world that we live in that has so many distractions I mean you we could read about the coronavirus all day and all night if we wanted to right we we could do that because it's just so many websites that are telling so many different things and we could get absorbed in that. And practically speaking, anything, <laughs> we, you could get absorbed in, I don't know, NASCAR racing many, many hours a day. And right, you can get absorbed in basket weaving, you know, anything you could think of. There's, there's so many different things that we can get absorbed in. And Krishna is reminding us that we should, Remember that the inevitabilities of life is something that we should keep in the forefront of our consciousness. Um, So any thoughts on that? No? Okay. So in that case, then we will continue. We're going up to verse 11. Therefore, thereafter, the Brahmana's younger wife after entrusting her twin children, the boy and girl, to the elder wife, departed for Pratiloka, voluntarily dying with her husband. So remember, uh, uh, Jada Bharata had a sister, right? They were twins. After the father died, the nine stepbrothers of Jada Bharata, who considered Jada Bharata uh, dull and brainless, abandoned the father's attempt to give Jada a complete, educate, a complete education. The stepbrothers of Jadabharata were learned in the three Vedas, the Rig Veda, Sama Veda, and Yajur Veda, which uh, very much encourage fruitive activity. The nine brothers were not at all spiritually enlightened in devotional service to the Lord. Consequently, they could not understand the highly exalted position of Jadabharata. Nine and ten. Degraded men are actually no better than animals. The only difference is that animals have four legs and such men have two, right? So we, we, we use that word, dvipadapasu, padapasu, right? A two-legged animal. These two-legged animalistic men used to call Jataparta mad, dull, deaf, and dumb. They mistreated him and Jataparta behaved for them like a madman who was deaf, blind, and dumb. He did not protest or try to convince them that he was not so. If others wanted him to do something, he acted according to their desires. Whatever food he could acquire by begging or by wages, and whatever came of its own accord, be it uh, be it a small amount, palatable, stale, or tasteless, he would accept and eat. He never ate anything for sense gratification because he was already liberated from the bodily conception, which induces want to accept palatable or impalatable food. He was full in the transcendental consciousness of devotional service, and therefore he was unaffected by the dualities arising from the bodily conception. Actually, his body was as strong as a bull's, and his limbs were very muscular. He didn't care for winter or summer, wind or rain, and he never covered his body at any time. He lay on the ground and never smeared oil on his body or took a bath. Because his body was dirty, his spiritual effulgence and knowledge were covered, just as the splendor of a valuable gem is covered by dirt. He only wore a dirty loincloth and his sacred thread, which was blackish. Understanding that he was born in a Brahmana family, people would call him a Brahmana bun and other names. Being thus insulted and neglected by materialistic people, Um, he wandered here and there. I see some text 11. Jada used to work only for food. His stepbrothers took advantage of this and engaged him in agricultural field work in exchange for some food. But actually, he did not know how to work very well in the field. He did not know where to spread dirt or where to make the ground level or uneven. His brothers used to give him broken rice, oil cakes, and chaff of rice, worm-eaten grains, and burnt grains that had stuck to the pot. But he actually accepted all this as if it were nectar. He did not hold any grudges and ate all this very gladly. So Prabhupada writes, so we're going to talk about duality here. Bhart Maharaj was determined to finish his business in this material world, and he did not at all care for the world of duality. He was complete in Krishna consciousness and was oblivious to good and evil, happiness and distress. As stated in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, dvaite padra Padra jnana sabha-manodharma ye bhala e manda sabha brahma. In the material world, conceptions, of good and bad are all mental speculations. Therefore saying this is good and this is bad is all a mistake. One has to understand that in the material world of duality, to think that this is good or that this is bad is simply a mental concoction. However, one should not imitate this consciousness. One should actually be situated on the spiritual platform of neutrality. So this this concept of duality, I don't find it that easy to fully, under, to fully grasp, yet it is such an important thing to grasp. <laughs> right. So because it says, the, the Shastra says, and Bhagavad Gita says, isha uh, dvesha samutena dvanva mohena bharata, that we're all born into the illusion, this world of duality. Uh, and icha and dweish, desire and hate is how they're trans- translated. They So we, we desire icha, I should pronounce it right, it's a long A at the end, icha. One, uh, we desire one set of sense objects that we think are really nice or attractive or tasty or smell nice or whatever. And we're repulsed, dweish, dweisha, uh, by another set. Those things that don't look nice to our eyes, don't smell nice don't seem pleasing to our senses and what's also interesting i don't know if you've ever uh, experienced this but what's also interesting is that we can be attracted to a sense object and then a few moments later be repulsed by it (laughs) the same thing and even at times we're repulsed by the thought of a, a supreme Uh, being who's beyond us and that in one another place I'm trying to find the quote here Prabhupada talks about this he brings it to the level of so this icha and dvesha as um, our ultimate each and dvesha is is um, a relationship with Krishna let me see if I can find it real quickly Let's see, the real constitutional position of the living entity is that of subordination to the Supreme Lord, who is pure knowledge. When one is deluded into separation from this pure knowledge, he becomes controlled by the illusory energy and cannot understand the Supreme personality of Godhead. The illusory energy is manifested in a duality of desire and hate. Due to desire, here it is, due to desire and hate, the ignorant person wants to become one with the Supreme Lord and envies Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So I thought this was fascinating. One would think that a person who's, that that this would be incompatible, desire to become one with the Lord in personalism or monism and being caught up in dualities. But here Prabhupada says, due to the desire and hate, the dualities of desire and hate, each enthweesha, the ignorant person wants to become one with the Supreme Lord and envies Krishna as the Supreme Personality of it. So the way I've heard it explained is that the original Icha, desire, is to become God, and the original dwesh or envy is who does Krishna think he is? Right? Why is he God? Why is he saying in the Bhagavad Gita, do this and don't do that? So So, so that duality... Of, of desire and hate that we see all over the world and, and it's a spectrum it's not that everything is you totally hate something you totally desire something there be things in the middle but still the mind is constantly getting absorbed in this desire and so this desire and hate is is something to this to all idea of duality it comes originally in our relationship with Krishna but then you can see it, it permeates people's lives. They're, you know, from the time they wake up to the time, oh, I had a good sleep, I didn't have a good sleep. Good breakfast, bad breakfast. Raining today, uh sunny today, ah, uh, too hot, mm, too cold, uh, right? Nice, and, and somewhere in the middle. And and we're absorbed in this. And what I think is helpful for us as devotees is to remember that our mind doing that originally goes dates back to our, our relationship with Krishna. So, for, so what we're trying to do, and also what impersonalists are trying to do also, is become free from the idea of dualities. Now, I'm going to read a couple of things that I found from Prabhupada. He says, however, for the service of the Lord, he can participate in any kind of action without being disturbed by the duality of the material world. The duality of the material world is felt in terms of heat and cold or misery and happiness. A Krishna conscious person is above duality because he does not hesitate to act in any way for the satisfaction of Krishna. Therefore, he is steady both in success and failure. In another place, Prabhupada writes, there is no duality in his mind because whatever he does, he does for Krishna. Being thus freed from the platform of dualities, he is liberated even in this material world, so then the impersonalist tries to calm the mind and make it uh, free and and observe the mind and avoid the dualities of happiness and distress. That's why you know performing austerities and penances can can help with that. The devotee goes beyond that and is much more natural because the devotee thinks I want to serve. Krishna, I want to please Krishna and I accept whatever pleases Krishna. I reject whatever doesn't. So that's, that's on a different level. Uh, they're, they're just care for Krishna's pleasure. So they're not thinking about the dualities of this world in terms of what it'll give me pleasure or not. They don't care about the dualities that, that like, you know, the devotee. I mean, we tried to practice this. I remember on some we would go out in all kinds of weather I lived in Michigan for many years, and you know, the snow is falling horizontally, and it's 10 degrees outside, and we're still running around, you know, in those days, parking lots, trying to uh, give people one of Sheila Prabhupada's books. And although the body was certainly not very uh, comfortable, we were quite blissful because we were at least trying to be focused on, on Krishna's pleasure. Mm. So some thoughts on duality.
1: Just that it seems like a very advanced stage to be able to, of course it is an advanced stage to be able to act just for pleasure of the Lord. And mm. yeah, I, yeah, of
0: course Guru Das Prabhu, that's right. And at the same time, you, you know, as, as, you guys have been, we've been talking for so many years now. I see it as a spectrum. It's not, you're either totally absorbed in duality or totally free from duality. It's, it's a progressive march towards that. So we, we are, everyone on this call is at a different place in that spectrum towards becoming free from dualities. Now, there are, there are some dualities in this world, by the way. Here, I'll read this. In the relative world, the knowledge of the living spirit or superior energy, but in the relative world, the knower is the living spirit or superior energy, whereas the known is inert matter or inferior energy. Therefore, there is a duality of inferior and superior energy, whereas in the absolute realm, both the knower and the known are of the same superior energy. Now, we can transcend that duality in terms of what Prabhupada is saying here by seeing matter as also coming from Krishna and that of course Krishna is helping us in the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita and in the tenth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita how we can see him in this world so then we can become free from that duality of even material things by seeing them as coming from Krishna other thoughts or are you all too absorbed in dualities So now we are going towards the end of this chapter and verse 20. At this time, being desirous of attaining a son, a leader of Dacoits who came from a Sudra family wanted to worship the goddess Bhadra Kali, Kali by offering her in sacrifice a dull man who was considered no better than an animal. The leader of the Dacoits captured a man animal for sacrifice, but he escaped. And the leader ordered his followers to find him. They ran in different directions but could not find him. Wandering here and there in the middle of the night, covered by dense darkness, they came to a paddy field where they saw the exalted son of the Angira family, Jadabhartha, who was sitting in an elevated place, guarding the field against the attacks of deer and wild pigs. By the way, if you don't know this, wild pigs can really mess up a or boars can really mess up a agricultural field <laughs> ruin it in one night the the followers and servants of the Dakoi chief considered jedapart to possess qualities quite suitable for uh, a man animal and they decided that he was a perfect choice for sacrifice their faces bright with happiness they bound him with ropes and brought him to the temple of the goddess kali after this all the thieves according to their imaginative ritual for killing ritual animalistic men bathed chaturbharta dressed him in new clothes decorated him with ornaments befitting an animal smeared his body with scented oils and decorated him with tilaka uh, sandalwood pulp and garlands they fed him sumptuously and then brought him before the goddess kali offering her incense, lamps, garlands, parched grain, newly grown twigs, sprouts, fruits, and flowers. In this way, they worshiped the deity before killing the man-animal, and they vibrated songs and prayers and played drums and bugles. Jadavarta was then made to sit down before the deity. At this time, one of the thieves, acting as a chief priest, was ready to offer the blood of Jadaparata, whom they imagined to be an animal man, to the goddess Kali to drink as liquor. He therefore took up a very fearsome sword, which was very sharp, and consecrating it by the mantra of Badra Kali, raised it to kill Jadaparata. All the rogues and thieves who had made arrangements for the worship of goddess Kali were low-minded and bound by the modes of passion and ignorance. They were overwhelmed by the desire to become very rich. Therefore, they had the audacity to disobey the injunctions of the Vedas, so much so that they were prepared to kill Jadupartha, a self-realized soul born in Brahman family. Due to, due to their envy, these dacoits brought him before the goddess Kali for sacrifice. Such people are always addicted to envious activities, and therefore, they dared to try to kill Jadabharata. Jadabharata was the best friend of all living entities. He was no one's enemy. And he was always absorbed in meditation on the supreme personality of it. He was born of a good, prominent father. And killing him was forbidden, even though he might have been an enemy or aggressive person. In any case, there was no reason to kill Jadabharata. And the goddess Kali could not bear it. She she could immediately understand that these sinful dacoits were about to kill a great devotee of the Lord. Suddenly the deity's body burst asunder and the goddess Kali personally emerged from it in a body um, burning with an intense and intolerable effulgence. 18, intolerant of the offenses committed, the infuriated goddess Kali flashed her eyes and displayed her fierce curved teeth. You don't want to mess around with her, by the way. Her reddish eyes glowed, and she displayed her fearsome features. She assumed a frightening body, as if she were prepared to destroy the entire universe, crea- the entire creation. Leaping violently from the altar, she immediately decapitated all the rogues and thieves with the very sword with which they had intended to kill Jadaparath. Then she began to drink the hot blood that flowed from the necks of the beheaded rogues and thieves as if this blood were liquor. Indeed, she drank the intoxicant with her associates, who were witches and female demons. Becoming intoxicated with this blood, they all began to sing very loudly and dance as those preparing to annihilate the entire universe. At the same time, they began to play with the heads of rogues and thieves, tossing them about as if they were balls. (laughs) Uh, writes in the purport just uh, it is evident from this verse that devotees of goddess kali are not at all favored by her that's like the uh, understatement of the year right they certainly were not favored by
1: her it is uh,
0: definitely true
1: well, i don't know anything about the worship of kali but if, if i mean if rogues worship kali but kali doesn't care for her devotees why do What's, what's their aim why did they do it
0: well of course in this case they offered a great mahabhagavat to her I don't right. know uh, does anyone here on the call anyone here from bengal because I think in Bengal is been one of the main places for Kali worship or other parts of India does anyone know the answer to this question of what yes go ahead
2: this is Jivita. So uh Shira Prabhupada explains the explain uh, the reason why some people they worship Goddess Kali. Uh meat eaters, they worship Goddess Kali and uh, you know and people who sacrifice animals, they actually speak a mantra in the ear of the animal that they are sacrificing, which is basically translated as that in the next life you will have the opportunity to kill me. So because they are so much attached to sense gratification and materialistic mindset, they want to enjoy the current life even at the expense of suffering in the next life.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else uh know traditionally what happens for the inspiration? No. Okay, we don't have a lot of Kali worshippers on the call. <laughs> All right, so let's continue. Uh, when an envious person commits an offense before a great personality, he is always punished in the way mentioned above. Uh, now, that might be, we all know that, that that every time you commit a great offense, you might be punished. Yeah, in a way, in other words, it don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't, don't, criticize, don't offend a great devotee. So then at the end of this chapter, Sukadeva Goswami then said to Maharaj Prikshet, O Vishnu Datta, those who already know that the soul is separate from the body, who are liberated from the invincible knot in the heart, who are always engaged in welfare activities for all living entities and who never contemplate harming anyone, are always protected by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who carries the disc, the Sudrasan Chakra. Then acts as supreme time to kill the demons and protect his devotees. The devotees always take shelter at the lotus feet of the Lord. Therefore, at all times, even if threatened by decapitation, they remain unagitated. For them, this is not at all wonderful. And Prabhupada's purport will read the whole thing, which is only two sentences. These are some of the great qualities of a pure devotee of the Supreme Personality of God. First, a devotee is firmly convinced of his spiritual identity. He never identifies with the body. He is firmly convinced that the spirit soul is different from the body. Consequently, he fears nothing. Even though his life may be threatened, he is not at all afraid. He does not even treat an enemy like an enemy. Such are the qualifications of devotees. Devotees are always fully dependent on the supreme personality of God, and the Lord is always eager to give them all protection in all circumstances. So Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, his comments on texts 19 and 20, and the commentary begins with a doubt that may ent- that may have entered Maharaj Prakashit's mind. How is it possible that Bharat was not disturbed by the threat of imminent death? How is it possible that he wasn't even angry with those who tried to kill him? And then we hear Sukadeva Swami's reply, He said, this is Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur. Oh, Pariksit, it is not surprising that one can remain undisturbed when one's head is about to be cut off. But who can remain undisturbed? Only a person freed from the tight knot in the heart that is made of bodily identification and who is a friend to all beings, including his killer, and who is protected by the Lord, who holds his ever-attractive chakra in his hand, who displays a variety of affectionate moods for his devotees and who protects the righteous and punishes the sinful only that person has the power to remain undisturbed in such a circumstance so it's quite a achievement to look stare death in the face and not be disturbed and of course we find out later that Princess Maharaj had the same kind of consciousness. He, you know, let the snake bird or whatever magical uh, creation of that brahmana uh, come and kill me. Uh, let me just remember you, my lord. So, any thoughts on this? You have to go off
1: mute to uh, say what you want to say. Not exactly. Right. Like, not exactly on this uh this last topic, but thinking that um these great personalities, the Lord uh ashabadev as and Yedda Bharata and how they uh exhibit supreme renunciation um right. to the people at large um but at the same time seem like uh, we're exhibiting this, but don't follow this, and and also it seems very, uh, you know, extremely likely to uh, attract sinful persons who will offend them. Is that like, uh, and is is that considered a uh, part of the purpose of the Lord to root out those kinds of sinful beings that would come and offend. Uh, I, I've
0: never, have, I haven't read that anywhere. They are, I have read that like Jadavarata and Priyavarata before him, that they show this great level of renunciation. Uh, I was, I was not, pre, I meant, uh, um, yeah, Rishabed. Yeah. and they, they show this amazing level of renunciation that made inspire us, but I haven't read exactly that, that what you just said, but maybe that's, you know, we, we all, we do know that the Lord performs many activities with what or many purposes with one activity. Any other questions or comments?
2: Krishna. Yes, boo.
0: So again, uh, we again hear
2: time and again that devotees, even they look at death as just like, you know, as a benediction, right? So uh like Narad Muni, there was thundering and lightning happening at the same time and lightning is happens first. So they immediately got the spiritual body while the thunder is what the death, the pain. So that's not felt. So devotees, they are like cubs in the, you know, mouth of, the mother was like cat. So they are not feeling, they're rather feeling more assured and blessed mm-hmm. rather than the pain of the death that comes their way. Yes. And well, that mindset has been expressed again and again um, in Shastras that we are actually looking at is a, a path of going back home and we don't feel the pain even uh, dhruva Maharaj, he uses death and steps over the head of the death to get onto the plane, going back to Vakunta.
0: So that's being expressed as well. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so we, let's move on to the next chapter. So that ends the Bhaktivedanta Purpose, to the fifth chapter, ninth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled The Supreme Character of Jada So now the discussion between Jada and Maharaj Rahugana. Sukadeva Goswami continued, My dear king, after this, King Rahugana, King Rahugana, um, ruled, ruler of the states known as Sindhu and Sovira, was going to Kapil Ashram when the king's chief pelican carrier reached the banks of the river Ikshumati, Ikshumati, they needed another carrier. Therefore, they began searching for someone, and by chance, they came upon Jatabharata. They considered the fact that Jatabharata was very young and strong and had firm limbs. Like cows and asses, he was quite fit to carry loads. Thinking this way, although the great and soul Jatabharata was unfit for such work, they nonetheless unhesitatingly forced him to carry the palanquin. The palaquin, however, was very erratically carried by Jadaparata due to his sense of nonviolence. As he stepped forward, he checked before him every three feet to see whether he was about to step on ants. Consequently, he could not keep pace with the other carriers. Due to this, the palaquin was shaking, and King Rahugana immediately asked the carriers, Why are you carrying the palaquin unevenly? Better carry it properly, Prophet writes. Although in the purport, although Bharata was forced to carry the palanquin he did not give up his sympathetic feelings towards the poor ants passing on the, on the road. A devotee of the Lord does not forget his devotional service and other favorable activities, even when he is in a most distressful condition. Then a little later, a Vaishnava is never envious or unnecessarily violent. So this is brought up a few thoughts for me. One was, I think we've told the story before, but one was the story of uh, Peter Burwash, the devotee tennis player, professional tennis player, who was winning the match, but then when he was serving, he saw that there were ants there, so he adjusted where he served from in the tennis court, and that really affected his game, and he lost the match eventually and he said he was very blissful losing the match because he was following the instructions that Prabhupada had given him because he he had met, he actually Prabhupada gave him like a three or three and a half hour darshan once, just the two of them. Another time, Prabhupada was sitting in the backyard of a temple and Govinda Dasi saw a large slug climbing on a wall. She showed it to Prabhupada and and Prabhupada said, chant to the poor thing. And she began chanting Hare Krishna to the slug. And I also noticed, I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you, but I've been in a few situations where I've been with people who are not devotees and maybe a spider walks through or an ant or something in their home and they don't think twice, they immediately just step on it. And for me, I I just remember my reaction was, oh my God, how could they do that? Uh, it was just. I remember. I didn't say anything because it wasn't my house, and you know, I didn't have that relationship with them. But it just struck me that how can someone just, without even thinking, just boom, kill the kill the spider, kill the ant, or the cockroach, or whatever. It, it, it was really hard to stomach seeing that happen. Just just because, without any regard. Just not without thinking twice, just like as an automatic reflex, practically speaking, just smash. Mm. So that was one thought. And the other thought was this sentence, a devotee of the Lord does not forget his devotional service and other favorable activities, even when he is in a most distressful condition. So for me, that means we don't compromise our Krishna conscious principles, even if we're in a situation where we, we could compromise or no one would know, or anything such as that. It's, it's a thing we have to be careful, I know I have to be careful of this, it, of the mind um, rationalizing why it's okay in this situation. Now sometimes it's true, certain things we can adjust in certain situations, but I think we should be very honest with ourselves and see if, if we really do need to make an adjustment here or. Um, or are we compromising our Krishna conscious principles in this situation? Because um, here Prabhupada says that we don't, we don't even in distressful situation, we don't forget our devotional service and other favorable activities. So I thought from this purport, those two points unnecessarily violent, avoiding hurting other living entities, although we don't go as far as let's say the James who cover their, their mouth and Things like that, you know, we're practical. We still drive in cars, even though we know when we're driving in a car, we're going to step, we're going to crush ants, and there's roadkill and all those things. We tried to minimize that, but what can you do? And also this point about rationalizing our, um, or compromising our behavior. Some thoughts on this.
2: Harika Shamparwood, this is Jeeva again. Yes. So some of my friends who are following the Jan, like you know, f- covering the face, they are saying the whole world is going to follow their example now with COVID-19. Talking <laughs> <Yes. laughs> about it,
0: but for different reasons, right? <laughs>
2: yes, yes. To save ourselves. This time it's not to you know save other living entities from being killed by our breathing, but to just save ourselves from being killed okay. by okay. The living right. entities
0: like right. COVID-19 virus. And they also say that many, many more people may take up the namaste, you know, the, uh, the namaste position with the folded palms. Yes. You know, now, <laughs> now that you, people aren't shaking hands. And, and it is, when you think about it, it's so, much, it's so much nicer to greet someone with folded palms than try to, you know, elbow pump. You know, it's just much sweeter in my, <laughs> in my estimation. Kind of weird. Yes, yeah, so James must think that they've made millions and millions and millions of uh, converts lately. Yes.
1: <laughs> Other thoughts on this? It seems like at least uh, I look back at my own upbringing in Western culture. It's, it's very much ingrained to um, this idea of animals have no souls. Right. Um, and that kind of thinking justifies, uh, killing insects or eating hamburgers or whatever, what have you. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's,
0: and, and we, I guess we have to be careful. I think I have to be careful not to be callous to that because, especially working in a job with non devotees, they're just always eating forbidden things. And, and I hope I don't ever lose a vision that it's it, that it's terrible <laughs> you know because you, when you're surrounded by something you can uh that I don't ever just think of it as being normal you know uh especially you know hamburgers and things which are from cows i was I took a walk yesterday to the temple from where I live and spent some time with Kita and Vani, our two cows they're such <laughs> such nice. Are such nice people, and they are people, right? They're not humans, but it's just so nice being being with them. I couldn't, you know, in a million years, couldn't imagine killing them and then eating them. Nandi Muki writes, Hare Krishna, a thought, a person who is absorbed in pursuing duality. His behavior is very, uh, his behaviors are very predictable. But for a devotee like Jada whose his behaviors are not at all predictable to worldly speculators. For example, his tolerance of violence and injustice to himself. And what does VS mean? Versus. Oh, versus, okay. Versus his intolerance of violence. And okay, so yes, yeah, so he didn't, he was tolerant of violence to himself and totally intolerant of to violence even to ants. And as far as behavior being predictable, we're gonna talk about that a little, in like another verse or two. Uh, no, actually in the next uh, in verse number five. So I'm I'll you know, we'll talk about it when we come to verse number five, because in one sense, we can predict the person's behavior uh, if we know what modes they're influenced by. So let's move on. Text number three. Unless there by the way, if somebody wants to speak up, please just go off mute and speak up. When the palaquin carriers heard the threatening words of Maharaj Rahugana, they became very afraid of his punishment and began to speak to him as follows. Oh Lord, please note that we are not at all negligent in discharging our duties. We have been faithfully carrying this palaquin according to your desire. But this man who has been recently engaged to work with us cannot walk very swiftly. Therefore, we are not able to carry the palaquin with him. Text number five. King Rahugana could understand the speeches given by the carriers who were afraid of being punished. He could also understand that simply due to the fault of one person, the palaquin was not being carried properly. Knowing this perfectly well and hearing their appeal, he became a little angry, although he was very, very advanced in political science and was very experienced. His anger arose due to his inborn nature as a king. Actually, King Rahuguna's mind was covered by the mode of passion. And he therefore spoke as follows to Bharata, whose Brahman effulgence was not clearly visible, being covered like a fire covered by ashes. And Prabhupada writes, the distinction between Rajaguna and Sattva is explained in this verse. Although the king was very upright and advanced in political science and governmental management he was nonetheless in the mode of passion and therefore due to a slight agitation he became angry chandraprata despite all his all kinds of injustice endured because of his deaf and dumb display remained silent in the strength by the strength of his spiritual advancement so i read something today that i really appreciated and have to think about more it was in freddy nunamarges book on the Bhagavad Gita and he's in there's a chapter about the modes of material nature and he makes this point that every free choice free every exhibition of free will that a person displays is really just them choosing the mode of nature that they're going to be influenced by and he says that the modes of course have unlimited combinations So I thought that was, you know, we talk about free will in terms of choosing to serve God or not choosing to serve God. But then within the not choosing to serve God, within the material nature, whatever free will a person has, they're basically just choosing between the modes of material nature or or the unlimited combination of those modes. That really struck me, and I have to uh, think about that more. But it makes a lot of sense. and. Furthermore, it's it's one of our practices that we should work on because Krishna speaks about the modes of material nature so much, 14th chapter, 17th chapter, 18th chapter in the Bhagavad Gita, to really see the modes of material nature at work in the world and in our lives and in our mind especially. And our remit is to, well, I want to, Word this carefully. Our remit is to cultivate Krishna consciousness and to generally act in the mode of goodness. This was when Jan Prabhu. The first time he ever asked Prabhupada a question was nineteen sixty-seven, at twenty-six Second Avenue, because Prabhupada was talking, giving a class, and he was speaking about the mode of goodness. And Jan Prabhu, the first time he ever spoke to Prabhupada, was a little challenging, and he said, "I thought devotees were transcendental to the mode of mode of goodness." And Prabhupada looked at him kind of sternly and said, yes, and they generally act in the mode of goodness. So the point being that when we, you know, quote unquote, fall down from Krishna consciousness, it's much better to fall down to the mode of goodness. Passion ignorance is very dangerous. So we should, we should think about what is our room clean? Is our car clean? Do we take baths regularly? Do we do we always, you know, um, you know, wash our clothes regularly? You know, all the different things. Do we eat? Do we try to avoid multitasking, which is a very passionate kind of thing when we're taking prasadam? Do we just take prasadam? Or do we, you know, talking to somebody on the phone and watching a YouTube video and doing, you know, three other things at the same time? We can be conscious in our regular daily activities how much are we... Cultivating, not cultivating, uh, acting in the mode of goodness and trying to cultivate our Krishna consciousness. Because if we're just focusing on the mode of goodness, that often degrades the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance sometimes. Because we become proud of being in the mode of goodness and or the happiness that comes from the mode of goodness, and pride, of course, is a symptom of the mode of passion. So there's so much we can talk about with the modes of material nature, but these two points is point about. Um, that our that a person's free choice in the material world is really what they're doing is they're choosing that some combination of the modes of material nature that and for us as aspiring devotees to generally act in the mode of goodness some thoughts prabhu you haven't said anything today can you hear us
3: yeah currently yes prabhu yes i'm back on track
0: okay All right. <laughs> All right. Very good. And what mode of material nature are you choosing to act right now?
3: I, I would like to be in uh, the transcendence, but it is a struggle with the material modes of nature. Right.
0: Well, as long as we're hearing the Bhagavatam, we, we, we're okay, I guess, right? Just like they, they, they wanted to invite Yamaraj to the Yajna, right? Or to a Kirtan because then no one would die. Right? We was absorbed in the Bhagavatam. Okay, any any thoughts from anyone about the modes of material nature or this point about free will uh, and choosing the modes? <laughs>
3: to me, it looks like um, it depends a lot on how pure the consciousness is to withstand the onslaughts of the material modes of nature. Because uh. without that, it we, we are... Uh, the, the living beings in the material existence can easily succumb to the pushings of the modes of material nature because it's so powerful and strong. So the, to me, I have to work on keeping my consciousness pure. So reading Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam and associating with uh, devotees. So those are the uh, resources that gives me that strength and also the purification in my consciousness, then it becomes easier to overcome the pushings of the modes of material nature. Otherwise, I can easily succumb to it.
0: Mm. Yes. And you used the word onslaught. So I I looked it up in the dictionary, a fierce or destructive attack. So it's a strong word and you're you're using it because Srila Prabhupada used it a lot. So what a strong word, huh? a fierce or the onslaught of material nature, a fierce or destructive attack by the modes of material nature. Onslaught. Probably had a wonderful vocabulary. Other comments, questions? Okay, then let us proceed and we are going up to I think it's nine. Text six. King Rahugana told Jadaparta. How troublesome this is, my dear brother! I hope I'm saying this with a sarcastic tone. You certainly appear very fatigued because you have carried the palanquin alone without assistance for a long time and for a long distance. Besides that, due to your old age, you have become very troubled, my dear friend. I see that you are not very firm, not very strong and stout. Aren't your fellow carriers cooperating with you? In this way, the king criticized Barta with sarcastic words. Yet despite despite being criticized in this way, Jajabharata had no bodily conception of the situation. He knew that he was not the body, for he had attained his spiritual identity. He was neither fat, lean, nor thin, nor had he anything to do with a lump of matter, a combination of the five gross and three subtle elements. He had nothing to do with the material body and its two hands and legs. In other words, he had completely realized his spiritual identity, aham brahmasmi. He was therefore unaffected by the sarcastic criticism from the king. Without saying anything, he continued carrying the palanquin as before. Okay, let's go on to nine. I was just thinking, you know, the Prabhupada writes, due to his being freed from the bodily conception, the sarcastic words of the king did not uh, at all affect him so i was thinking of Srila bhakti Prabhupada actually got the you know that that saying profit adoration distinction that idea that idea of uh, wanting to be admired or appreciated that Srila bhakti saranta saraswati takur used those words uh sometimes here's one quote from him so first we should show anger towards our own sinful propensities such as desires for profit adoration and distinction and another place he wrote we should not allow those who are not interested in worshipping Hari, but who aspire for profit, adoration, distinction, women, and wealth to live in the Mat. Such people are opposed to the Mat in their hearts. So just something to be, I found that interesting that Prabhupada who used that profit, adoration, distinction, he was quoting That's his Okay, so okay. let's go on to 9. I'm going to mute. There was some feedback or something. Oh, wait, Raghunam, did you solve your hand up or?
3: Yes, Prabhu, I have a question. Yes. Um, This stage that is describing Jada Bharat, it's at a very high stage, like the Mahabharata stage, topmost devotee. And I, I am here like a beginner and I am just trying to practice bhakti and I have to become advanced more in bhakti. So this... In this situation, Jada Bharat was able to uh, tolerate even that insult, personal insult that was directed at him by the king, because he was not identified with the body. But I am not in such a situation. And if sometimes if somebody directs some personal insult at me, it becomes painful, and I also retaliate.
0: Yes. So, what's the question?
3: The question is, <laughs> I, I'm not able to practice this higher stage of uh, uh, behavior um, because I'm not there yet. So, what should I be doing even in this in the stage I'm currently at?
0: I like the word that you just used in the previous sentence, practice. So we can we can work on it. The uh, there's that saying, "Fake it till you make it," right? Um and we associate with devotees who are more advanced than us. That was Prabhupada once said that in Australia. I can't I'm trying to remember the situation, that's why I'm being a little hesitant here. But someone was asking, how do I make spiritual advancements? Like, like a new visitor, right? How do I make spiritual advancement? And Prabhupada just said, associate with them. He was pointing to his disciples in the audience. So by association. First of all, by hearing that this is a desired, uh, quality to have, and then associating with people who are more along the path, and practice makes perfect, right? That's what we're, we're in the stage of sadhana, in the stage of vaidi sadhana, where, where we're following because of the orders of the spiritual master. So, we uh, we practice it now. It's it's interesting you say this because it was remini- it's reminiscent, isn't it, of the first canto when what was isn't it the first canto or was, no or is it no it was Dhruva Maharaj right who said I you know I'm a Chhatri. I can't follow these brahminical, <laughs> uh wasn't that was, am I right that was Dhruva Maharaj yes Prabhu. yeah yeah but what did Narada tell him?
3: You have to be tolerant and you have to be merciful to those who are not in the same level as you. And it's your responsibility to be extending that compassion to them.
0: Yeah. And eventually he came, he, and he came to that platform, right? Yeah. By, by the Lord's mercy. So that's the other thing, of course, Ragh- Raghunanda Prabhu, is the, th- the theme that we've all, often talked about, because it's such an important theme in Krishna consciousness, that we can't do it on our own. We need Krishna's help. For for one who remembers Lord Chaitanya, the most difficult things become easy, and one who forgets Lord Chaitanya, the most the easiest things can become difficult. So that's something we could think of. So if if next time you feel any of us feel offended by someone, mistreated by someone, if we can remember Lord Chaitanya, then even though it may be very difficult to tolerate that or to see the the hand of the Lord, be in in it, by Lord Chaitanya's mercy, even the most uh, difficult thing can become easy. And as as we're as in ISKCON, we're very fond of saying, Prabhupada, quote, you know, impossible is a word found in a fool's dictionary." So it's not impossible; it may be very hard. <laughs> and That's my answer. Is that is that okay, Radhika? Yes, Prabhu. Thank you so much, Prabhu. All right. So let's see. There should be time for another, at least one more discussion. So text number eight. Thereafter, when the king saw that his palanquin was still being shaken by the carriers, he became very angry. And he said, you rascal, what are you doing? Are you dead despite the life within your body? Do you not know that I am your master? You are disregarding me and are not carrying out my, my order. For this disobedience, I shall now punish you, just as Yamaraj, the superintendent of death, punishes sinful people. I shall give you proper treatment so that you will come to your senses and do the correct thing. That was verse 7. Verse 8, thinking himself a king, King Rah- rahugana was in the bodily conception and was influenced by material nature's modes of passion and ignorance. Due to madness, he chastised Jedhabarta with uncalled for and contradictory words. Jedhabarta was a topmost devotee and the dear abode of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Although considering himself very learned, the king did not know about the position of an advanced devotee situated in devotional service, nor did he know his characteristics. Jedhabarta was the residence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He always carried the form of the Lord in his heart. He was the dear friend of all living entities, and he did not entertain any bodily conception. He therefore smiled and spoke the following words. Prabhupada writes at the end of the purport, Sometimes a Vaishnava becomes superficially angry at a non-devotee, but this is good for the non-devotee. We have several, uh, and then he goes on to say, so I, I, I just like that point that, he says, superficially angry. And we told the story before about Prabhupada sometimes would chastise the devotee very strongly. And the next and then the next minute, just be totally calm. Whereas for us, it probably takes at least 20 minutes to calm down because Prabhupada was just doing service. He wasn't affected by the modes of material nature. And therefore, being coming angry, he could immediately just go back to totally calmness, which... For us, probably doesn't work so well. Now, text nine, the great Brahman Jadparata said, My dear king and hero, whatever you have spoken sarcastically is certainly true. Actually, these are not simple words of chastisement for the body, of, for the body is the carrier. The load carried by the body does not belong to me, for I am the spirit soul. There is no contradiction in your statements because I am different from the body. I am not the carrier of the palaquin. the body is the carrier. Certainly, as you have hinted, I have not labored carrying the palaquin, for I am detached from the body. You have said that I am not stout and strong, and these words are befitting a person who does not know the distinction between the body and the soul. The body may be fat or thin, but no learned man would say such things as the spirit's soul. As far as the spirit soul is concerned, I am neither fat nor skinny, therefore you are correct when you say that I am not very stout. Also, if the object of this journey and the path leading there were mine, there would be many troubles for me. But because they relate not to me but to my body, there is no trouble at all. And I just picked up on this one sentence uh, towards the end of the purport. The practice of austerity and penance is meant for understanding the distinction between the body and soul and how the soul can be unaffected by the pleasures and pains of the body. So we referred to, so a, a this is a ghani, a ghani practice, right? Austerities and penances is very much something ghanis do, but it's also something we can use in Krishna's service. And therefore Prabhupada gave us the regular principles, which are kind of austerity and certain things, fasting for jamasmi and uh, kadasi and things like that. Mm-hmm. But we, so it has its strengths, performing austerities and penances what are some potential benefits of practicing austerities and penances you can go off mute and mention or type in the chat box uh,
3: at least in the in terms of fasting on Krishna Janmashtami or Yaka days at least the benefit is I realize that I don't die just by fasting
0: <laughs> exactly yes very good that we can actually minimize things and and still live. Yes. What else? Anyone else? Potential- Simple
2: my thinking. So again, you know, when we practice regulated manner, not eating too much, not eating too little, stay balanced. That's something we are practicing with COVID-19 yeah. automatically.
0: Yeah, I guess. yeah. very good. Helps. Yeah, we also become, we can become, it can help us become convinced that life is meant for Krishna's pleasure, not our bodies. Yes. Yes. And now the next question is, what are are some potential pitfalls to performing penance and austerities? Some
2: people could become proud that they can perform great austerity. Very good. Yes.
0: Yes. Even that's the pride. And the other one that I came up with is it can make our it can make us hard hearted. Mm-hmm. So so there's both there. Now Jay has written it seems that Judabar was eager to leave his body because he knew about his past life and eager to get to that same position of being self-realized. It is like he just want wanted to leave get out of this body and move on to the next stage of his journey. I'm not sure. We, there's not enough description in the Bhagavatam, at least of, for example, did did he know that Kali was going to save him? I would say, Jay, that it was more an indifference. The Sanskrit word is usually viraktir, that he was just indifferent to living or dying because he knew he was a soul and was eternal. I'm not sure he was, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't characterize it as eagerness to leave the body, but as indifference. And they may seem somewhat similar, but I think there's a, there's a difference. I hope that's helpful. I was going to recite this verse that I, I remember we talked a few months ago. Srila Bhakti Sananta Sarasati Thakura used to like to quote it. It's from the Narada Pancharatra. Aradito yadi haris <laughs> tapasat tapakim Naradito yadi haris tapasat tapakim Antabahir yadi haris tapasat tapakim Nantarbahir yadi haris tapasat takim. If one is worshiping Lord Hari, what is the use of performing extraneous penances? That's important, extraneous. And if one is not worshiping Lord Hari, no such penances will save him. If one can understand that Lord Hari is all-pervading within and without, what is the need of performing penances? And if one is not able to understand that Hari is all-pervading, all his penances are useless. So that's one angle of vision on, on this, and the point is, you know, the point is actually kind of simple. We we accept things favorable for devotional service. We reject things unfavorable. So we even our even our fasting. The idea, right, is to have more time for hearing and chanting. So it's always connected with the Lord. So today was a a special class with some technical challenges. Uh, still, we got about halfway through this next chapter. And we will continue this journey next week as we go on, let's see, to the next chapter, which will be Jadabharata instructing King Rahugana. And then, so there's still several more chapters and there's a conversation between Maharaj Rahugana and Jadabharata. And then there's further talks between the two of them. And then we come up with that very heavy and strong chapter, the material world as the great forest, the great forest of enjoyment. And then we hear about the descendants of Maharaj Priyavrata, And then, starting in chapter sixteen, the, the structure of the universe. Thank you very much, Prabhu's, and we'll see you next week. I hope you have a very nice Krishna conscious and safe week. Hare Krishna. <laughs>